Welcome to Full Metal RPG. I'm Richie Buzzkill, and uh, tonight I got an OG homie. I got Alan Barr with me. What's up, Alan? What up? It's my pleasure to be back on Full Metal RPG, one of my favorite RPG podcasts to hop on. I don't pay him to say that. He pays me to say that. So (laughs) he is a patron, but that's not why he's on tonight. Uh, He is here... To be Alan, and Alan is a mover and shaker, but also he's a gamer. What have you been up to lately? What have you been playing? What have you been? So, um, a lot of my gaming is still online because uh, I moved in the middle of the pandemic, and so I haven't still to find a, like a local group to play with fully. Uh, so we're playing some D and D three point five online. OGL. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we were just kind of. I was had the itch for like a throwback, you know. I was like, yeah, oh. God, it's been twenty years since three point five. Algebra bug bit me, oh, and I was like, let's do it. Um, it was more like I keep lugging all these books around. I got to use them. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, uh, there's a I'm couple running, things like that, but I, I don't know. The ruins of Greyhawk, the expedition to the ruins of Castle Greyhawk. Oh wow! Yeah, nice. So. So how are you finding that? Or is that is that a good? Oh, we're still in like uh, pre-game like character building. So oh, it's been okay. a little rusty. So we're kind of getting up to speed. Are you guys going deep on the on the expansion books? Or are you guys like just yeah? Built? So I kind of just dusted off all my old three point X house rules, which were uh, core plus two. Yeah. You know, so you can do anything in the core books plus two slap books, right? And so I was like, anything goes. If I don't own the book, you got to let me know so I can buy it. But right. If I own them all. That was you know irrelevant. Well, I, I suspect those uh, uh, those 3.5 books are going to have a resurgence in price here relatively soon, being at 20 years ago. And so yeah. nostalgia kicks in about 20 years after a thing. I, so. mean, you know, I started playing when I was uh, about 10 to 12, and it's 20 years now. And in my 30s, it's time for that 25-year nostalgia bug to bite, right? That's right. That's right. Luckily, I didn't get rid of any of mine. And when they announced fourth edition, I bought a couple spare player handbooks. So I've been sitting pretty for a while. Yeah. So well, it was the same thing with uh, with uh, second edition West End Star Wars. Is I, as soon as I found a second uh, handbook, I picked that mm-hmm. up because that that's my that's my nostalgia play right there because that was the first game I played. And yeah, I love man. it. I no West. I mean, I'm a for obvious reasons, a huge fan of the West End games D6 stuff. So right. <laughs> It's a simple D6 system with a lot of little moving parts well, I mean, versus a simple D6. Games to do Zoro, right? That's not, that's a license from Western Games to make the Zoro RPG on D6 stuff oh, like that. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I, I have that over there that I need to need yeah. to crack open. So yeah, so three point five. We've been doing some. Uh, we did some Fate for a while. We were doing Tiansha, the Vigilance Press uh, Wuxia setting. Mm. Um. I was running that. We just wrapped a campaign of Miseries and Misfortunes. The like the 1600s French uh OSR-esque uh burning wheel game. Well that that's a that's a whole lot of 
I think I need a whole show to unpack how that works. <laughs> uh, well, the game didn't go very far. Uh, mm. Some of the players had a hard time getting into the mechanics, so we just kind of moved on. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, doing some Age of Sigmar, which is a thing I love. Some other war games, which are things I love. So, you know, the usual stuff I do, which is RPGs and war games. Well, right, right. And I, uh, a, a buddy of mine who I play, uh, who ran uh, Curse of Strahd for me, uh, hit me up on, on Facebook and was like, hey, uh, do you want to play uh, L5R? Oh, sure. And I was like, yes, yes, I want to play L5R. Well, good news, I want to run L5R, but before I'm going to run L5R, I have been demanded that we play Pathfinder 2nd Edition before big that. Fan. I'm a big fan of Pathfinder 2E. I'm, I'm, I've made a character. I actually kind of thought it was it had some interesting bits and 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 levers and knobs to turn for this kind of game it wasn't as cumbersome as making a character for pathfinder 1e oh it's elegant it's like they, they did a good job of retaining that pathfinder customization feel well they, they reduced complexity while increasing uh sorry they reduced complication while increasing complexity which are two different things. Complication is burdensome and it weighs you down. Complexity is interesting and makes you make interesting choices. Right. They yeah. did a really good job of turning those dials in this new edition. Yeah, it 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 it's like instead of being like well, and speaking of OGL, instead of being met by that OGL wall of of skills that you have to like pick through and then all these feats and all that stuff, there is it's very much a Pick your pick your uh, heritage, pick your uh, class, and pick your background, and that pretty much tells you everything. And then those each give you selections to yeah. make in the normal uh, skills and and attributes. So, I mean, it's, character design is really an interesting option. Like, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm playing a a. a, a monk with a prisoner background whose tattoos are arcane prison tattoos so sure. why not you know we'll, we'll see how that goes the first game's next week so. then with the magic tattoos is that your next stop you're just gonna roll down the magic <laughs> i could just play the same character over again except they're not prison tattoos yeah <laughs> i don't i don't know what i'll play you know i might fall back into my classic crab clan uh stance but uh i'm a crane guy through and through so oh well we we that's that's why we uh we have such good arguments is because we're yeah. on opposite sides of that <laughs> i played the i played the cart the ccg for almost 18 years competitively so big l by barnard on my end here so yeah. well i i i also played played that back in the day and crab was my clan so like <laughs> one of going back to pathfinder 2e for a minute because i've been singing the praises of pathfinder 2e for a while now um, I think it's I think it's getting passed over by a lot of people who should be paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things they've done is they've made actions a resource mechanic, but they made it really obvious on the surface. Like the default for me is like, so if you compare how heal works in fifth edition to Pathfinder 2E, if I'm a cleric and I cast, you know, cure light wounds, right? 
or now it's just heal in fifth edition, I think, right? Heal. And a level one spell heals 1d8. Level two spell 2d8, right? right? So you burn higher level spell slots. Well, what Pathfinder 2e does is they make it cost extra actions instead, right? So if I spend one action as 1d8, two actions as 2d8, hmm. three actions, right? And so it gets this really interesting choice of action economy, which to me is a lot more interesting in terms of like resource management because those actions refresh every turn if i make a bad choice i'm only hampered for a turn because i get three more actions i don't burn spell slots i don't get a replace for until i rest for a long rest right like they've created this really nice cycle of a learning curve meets resource management game that isn't punishing when push comes to shove right and so and i haven't experienced that yet but that very much tracks with the kind of 3.5 OGL uh, uh, Pathfinder uh, mm-hmm. lineage is action economy was king, right? You had so many things you could do, but you had to make sure that you were optimizing those actions as you as you went. Exactly. And I think that's such smart design and I'm very been super impressed. I ran a campaign of it. I loved it. Well, and and also, uh, it's slightly role playing, but I'm we're gonna start playing a Necromunda campaign here in, in here in town with all the the local local G's, Brendan and and Mike Marines and uh, you know Adam and all those guys. I don't know what I'm doing up here in North Dakota. I, I, I you move the exactly the wrong direction, dude. I, I hate to say it, but you know. <laughs> I like the smell, man. Sorry. Well, uh, that's uh, that's one thing that you would have to be at least well you would never get as much snow as you get there but like you would have to be a couple three hours north of here to get I feel like you guys should just come up here for a long weekend at some point well we we might uh, we might have to figure out people you know i got spare bedrooms i'll put you all up we'll just have like a gaming retreat okay yeah i i have we have been like batting that idea around for a long time i've always thought that was a great model just to go well that's what i do for my uh uh, right. My friend Con need another Nacon, and I just think that more people just need to like go to a place and just like let's hang out for a weekend and play games, and that to me is sounds like the most perfect thing. It's the best vacation. <laughs> well, let me know. Maybe I'll come down. I got family down there. I got a reason. All right. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about that. So, so we're talking crowdfunding today right like that's the overarching theme that's right that's right uh money. gotta get that money money i i had to bring up you know my, i have i have a bunch of friends who've done kickstarters but i don't think more so than than you alan <laughs> uh so i figured it'd be uh, good to ta- get 25 the gallant has run and i've consulted on at least 15 more right so so over 40 that I have been involved in in some capacity. Right. But the world of Kickstarter and the world of crowdfunding is just in a churn right now. And so that's why I think it's, this is a timely show here. So. Yeah. And it'll be immediately not timely in two months, probably. So, you know, folks consider your current situation, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, it's it, always, you got to do all your research before you do a thing or oh, before yeah. you back a thing. So like, this is good for both people that are creators and people that are backers as to yep. what is good and what we we know right now this is this is right now 
So super brief recap of Kickstarter and my history with Kickstarter. I ran my first Kickstarter in 2016. I was first involved in a Kickstarter in a significant capacity in 2015, I think. I might be off by a year on those dates, but roughly that. Um, and by the 2019, uh, Gallant Night Games had ran about 18 to 19 Kickstarters, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, depending. Um, they all blur together after a while, so... <laughs> Um, and I had been involved in several more, including picking up Kickstarters that had been dropped or failed or whatever, right, for various reasons. So um, I've also ran, uh, consulted as a project manager on Kickstarters. I've contributed as a creative to Kickstarters and had my name on them as a marketing employee, all that stuff. So uh, been around the block with the Kickstarters. I have consulted on Indiegogo's. I have consulted on GoFundMe's. I have consulted on itch fundings, and I have also ran my own crowdfundings through our Gallant Night Games web store. So, been around the block with the crowdfunding scene in a lot of ways, um, and you know, have some experience there. Uh, but it's kind of bonkers, man. So when I started, Kickstarters were, you know, I mean, 2016 was still sort of. I'm not, not going to call it the cutting edge, but like I backed my first Kickstarter in 2012 and it was a uh, Deadlands Noir from uh pinnacle. Yeah. Right. So I backed that and I ran my first Kickstarter in, I was involved in the Kickstarter in 2015. So three years from backing to doing one in some capacity. And I ran my first Kickstarter's gallon in 2016 with tiny frontiers. So like, start to finish you know it only took three to four years for me to end up in that ecosystem right from a backer to and i backed over i think i backed over 600 kickstarters at this point well you're the only person that i know of that is back more than i have at this point <laughs> i've never run one uh there, it's uh, been a couple close calls that uh, we'll say a lot of those are probably a buck to help to you know because like as a creator, when people follow me, they see what I back. Right. And yes. So I will back a friend's Kickstarter for a buck, so you know an email gets pushed out or whatever. Right. So like I'm not going to say I bought all of those in at like full price, but most of them I probably did because I usually at least buy the core thing on the Kickstarter if I back it. Right. If I care enough to make sure you know I backed it, I care enough to buy the thing. Yeah, and I I always thought that that was a really interesting feature that they kind of buried the following other creators following. Cause like I was like seeing those, I, I don't, I think the emails, but I was always looking at my activity on who was backing what, cause you could kind of tell like what, you know, Oh, this is going to be uh this kind of game or that kind of game by who is backing what right. either they reached out or they were just watching right. that kind of game. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but, you know, and it's, it's interesting. One thing Kickstarter did really well is they turned the idea of crowdfunding into a community experience in a way a lot of other crowdfundings didn't capture, right? Like Indiegogo, who I think up to this point, you can say is probably the second biggest kid on the block until, you know, GameFound has now kind of erupted in terms of tabletop For space. tabletop, right? But Indiegogo is still like the second one. But yeah, Game they, they've never been as successful at communalizing the community experience of Kickstarter. They've never been able to turn on that community drive that Kickstarter has. 
right? And I think a lot of that has to do with how Kickstarter structured themselves with the following and the emails and the things like ZineQuest and the initiatives. Well, they, and, and the comments and the, and the, they had the recommendation engine, I feel like, or the, you know. Yeah, they I put think, a lot of work into kind of a curated experience. Right. And that really helped you, helped a lot of people. Plus, when Kickstarter was hot, right? When it was the hottest thing, like I spent a lot of money <laughs> when listening to podcasts because every podcast was about whatever the new Kickstarter was that week. Right. Even if they weren't, and it sort of died off a bit because it became a little too much, right? It just became kind of come front and back. But uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, those were heady days back there, 2016, 2017. Well, and they even, you know, I would argue they even rolled into early 2020. You know, I remember ZineQuest 2020 hit and a couple of friends messaged me. They're like, are you okay? Does somebody hack your account? Because you just back like 70 projects. <laughs> I was like, yeah. no, they all just looked really cool. Yeah. Well, that, like, was, that was the thing is you really just back that many projects. Yeah. You just have like so many cool things happening at once. And it's like, like oh, man. For the PDF, there's zines, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, it's interesting as somebody who I wasn't at kick, in Kickstarter at the start, but it's definitely sort of that middle wave, at least in my opinion, the middle wave, that middle generation of Kickstarter creators. And to see how it has moved now, especially since 2020, over the last couple of years, um, has been really interesting. And it's been really, I would argue, is probably the biggest hurdle or obstacle maybe to a new creator who wants to fund in the space is that concept of crowdfunding and the loss of Kickstarter's dominance is probably both the most harmful in terms of losing the easy way in, right? Cause it was easy. Kick, there were a lot of resources. Kickstarter was easy to get into. It was people were giving out advice free, right? There's all this, all these resources and tools. And it was just, it was the thing you Kickstarter, right? right that has changed now and that has fractured the ability to market, to communicate, to crowdfund in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's I, not, go ahead. I was going to say, like, I feel like that change was starting to happen before they decided to do what I think a lot of people, the reason a lot of people have got, jumped off, but I feel like that change was happening before that. Like there was some kind of like building, uh, pressure that was it was harder and harder to get attention on Kickstarter for littler projects. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of criticism that was leveled and was leveled at really big companies that were using Kickstarter, and they were leveled at this is a pre-order campaign. Like, why aren't you just doing a pre-order campaign for this? You know, and well, on some levels, that's a fair critique. You know, and on some levels. Kickstarter is a tool that you can't just replicate with a pre-order campaign either, right? Like, it is both a fair and unfair critique, I think. Um, and, and that makes it really complex. Like, everything in the world is kind of a complicated, nuanced conversation, right? So, you know, and, and that discussion goes, what's indie? You know, what's, uh, what's small press? That starts to change. You get all, all these definitions that are really fluid. Um. You know, and I and I definitely understand Kickstarter's vision of airing on the side of no, you can use the platform. 
uh, over saying, no, you're too big now because that opens a giant can of worms. Who's too big? Is it the amount of money? Is it the number of campaign, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, it, it, I can see, first of all, Kickstarter makes their money off of this, right? And we'll talk about a little bit about what, how, you know, how they make money off of these Kickstarters in, in a little bit. But like, like, I can understand in some respects uh, being like, and, and I have said this multiple times, I'm like, all right, really, do we need to have another one of these X campaigns that were, sure. you know, gigantic company comes in and says, hey, we're going to produce this box set. You're going to buy this box set. And it's basically going to be retail. Because that was one of the big, I think that was one of the big driving factors back in the day was, I mean, pre the 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 shipping and the printing yeah. wall that has recently happened, uh, was you got the product for a fairly significant discount over if you ever saw it in retail, right? But as time went on, it got more and more expensive because of many reasons that, you know shipping and well you know and, and that's it and that if you ever saw it in retail question is interesting because both a lot of small companies and a lot of well-known companies they just skip retail now is kickstarter and then on their website and that's it right yeah or it's kickstarter only ever or whatever right they they skip that retail step kickstarter has allowed for a really significant direct-to-consumer experience that was much harder to achieve prior to Kickstarter because you had to build a mailing list. You had to train customers to go to your web store. You had to do all these steps to be successful there. And Kickstarter sort of uh, short-circuited or shortcut that. Um, and I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head, right, is retail has sort of been the third leg of this tripod and Kickstarter kicked that tripod out and said, yeah, you can get by with two legs. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, Maybe the two leg thing isn't going to work, right? It's it's not as stable without that third uh, right. leg as a tripod is, because I mean I've talked to many uh, store owners just like and they're and they're just like kind of some of them are on board with just getting the retail level, and some of them are just like lamenting the fact that they're they can't really get the cool shit because they can't right. afford to like let that money sit around and maybe get the product. Well, I, yeah, totally get that. Yeah, and that's fair. And that's the thing, you know, every time I go into a store as a publisher, I ask the store owner, I'm like, look, I love local stores. I spend a lot of time at local stores, hours a week. I, I want to help you. I want you to be successful, right? So what is what do we need to do, you know, to get you to back our Kickstarter? And some of the answers, oh, we just don't back Kickstarters. Eh, fine, I get it. Easier to make a blanket policy. Cool. Right. Or we don't want to tie up this amount of money, you know, okay, man, but it's $25 because it's a paperback RPG. Like I'm not tying up a thousand dollars for the next latest, you know, miniature war game extravaganza. Right. But if you become the store that's doing that, I mean, like I know that I randomly check how much money and I shouldn't do this, how much money is just floating in Kickstarters right now. And -hmm. it's regularly around a thousand dollars, just, just sitting in, in space. Mm-hmm. And some of that stuff I'll see, and some of it I won't. And I want to, I want to keep the industry going, so I'm somewhat willing to, you know, the bleed oh. is a little okay to me. But I could, as a store, you're on such razor thin margins. Absolutely. 
But I will also say a $25 margin to get two copies of a paperback RPG is, if that's making or breaking your store, you're having a different conversation anyway. Right. Right. And and, and you would have to, uh, and we have a, a store I know here in town that is, uh, that does, you know, do some of those, like they will get their Kickstarter backs in, but most of them don't. So I think it just sort of depends on who the person run. You know, it's yeah, you really know, personal. When I started, we used to run retail levels and we were able to get stores to back them, but that has just steadily dropped off. Mm. Stores almost never back our retail levels anymore um, to the point where we've quit offering them because we just never, and we just go with, we'll drop it in retail at the same time we drop it to backers. You can order it and like, it'll be easier for everybody. Then do a bunch of work for only, you know, a half dozen stores. Well, and I, I think that um, at least I think at least the pattern I see in that is the people that are really excited about the product and that right. are the like, you know, those those people that are in the know are probably going to back the Kickstarter. And those those retailers might be holding these two copies of something to, that, you Absolute. know, right. Hoping somebody sees it and thinks it's cool and picks it up or a right. friend recommends it, whatever. Right. And a lot of times a retail store, if you don't have somebody who knows that gaming product, it's really hard to sell just passively, right? Because either the customer comes in knowing what they want at the game store or the person working the game store knows what to sell the person. And so either your overhead is training the sales guy or person or girl or whatever, right? Or it's hoping you get that passive customer pickup, right? Right. And that's not a reasonable business model in a lot of ways, especially if you're dropping, you know, a thousand dollars on the latest miniature board game. Which is pretty easy when you get into multiple copies of one of those right. big kits. Yeah. You know, but definitely, I mean, I've only backed, you know, since the new year in 2022, I want to say I've only backed a half dozen Kickstarters and I backed the I mean, one year. I think I backed 200. Like it has dropped. Yeah, yeah, and I've definitely dropped off, um, you know, somewhat to the extent that I took my credit card out of Kickstarter, so that I have to, if I'm back your Kickstarter, I have to re-enter enter my credit card information. So <laughs> it was a bit of an addiction, and I really have to want your thing in order to put my card in. So it's a bit of a, a slowing down for me because I just don't. I'm wait. There's a bunch of stuff that just really really want and i'd like it to come in and then then i could feel better about uh well, coming back you know you know and i think it's i think there's a saturation point as gamers where we get so much stuff we're never going to use that we realize what am i doing right oh yeah um and i hit that point and i have a pretty high tolerance for that point point. <laughs> you know so there's a point where i'm like do i i'm starting to go do i need this right exactly right? And that wasn't where I was three to five years ago. Uh, that's exactly where you don't want to be as Kickstarter or especially after. And I, I think it, it's time to talk about maybe some of the roadblocks that have kind of come up that have made this. We'll call it the diaspora of funding has kind right. of spread wide. And I think the, the big thing that everybody was talking about was the uh, the blockchain protocol for Kickstarter being doing your own Kickstarter, essentially page. Mm -hmm. 
and 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 I I feel like this is a bit of a backlash against the tech bro coin coin people, you know, the Bitcoin tech bros rather than cuz there there's you know that people found out oh how much energy it takes to to mine these these codes right. and all this stuff. But if you look at what they're talking about is it's a completely different thing. Right. It just uses the underlying idea, but it was just this ba- instant backlash that people just like wanted to be mad about, I feel like. But so I will say, first and foremost, I am not educated enough on this topic to have a cohesive, comprehensive, or definitive opinion. Um, I have my opinion, and I know what it is because I've done my reading, I've tried to do research, but I, my work in the tech industry, which I used to have, was as a project manager, not on software side. So a lot of this is lost on me, or the details fly past me, or what have you, right? Like, this is not a thing I am somebody who can be considered a subject matter expert on in terms of blockchain or NFTs or anything like that. Right. Right. Um, as a publisher who uses Kickstarter, what I know is twofold earlier in 2021, Kickstarter changed the rules for how you many projects you can run that haven't been fulfilled. And when they changed those rules, they didn't publicize that. It was oh. just an internal change. They didn't tell anybody about to the best of my knowledge. I never saw an email. Um, I only heard about it through a Facebook group where somebody had sent an email and Kickstarter responded saying, hey, we changed this. And then it came out later, like, these are the new rules. Um, and it's that new trusted creator project thing where, like, if you're a trusted creator in this category, you can run three projects deep. Or I think it's you can have two unfulfilled projects in tabletop now. But right. that is, also doesn't seem to be consistent. Right, because it, it's the the cycle was very much there were people that were you know like yourself that were doing one after another you know like one a quarter or right what a quarter we were delivering every project everything was getting out the door there was never any issues you know right occasional delays due to production but you know right nothing, nothing like we just didn't fulfill projects but there was there was definitely a we running we i don't think we ever ran more than three deep a gallant because I was just uncomfortable with it. I'm like, I don't want to run more than like, I don't want to have this much work hanging over my head. Right. Yes. And part of that is from my time as an associate publisher at Nocturnal. Cause when uh, Stuart Wick died, you know, he had uh, 10 to 15 projects to finish. Wow. And I was the only employee there. So I was responsible for helping to pick those up and finish them. And I was like, I don't want to do this in my own company too. Right. <laughs> um, and so we never ran more than two or three deep, you know, Maybe, maybe four, but it was never, you know, generally speaking, we had a, I could count on one hand what we had outstanding. And usually it was like, it's at the printer or right. it's PDFs out the backers. Right. right. But it, it was a, that, I believe that cooled the creative creator community initially. Right. Because right. there were people that were depending upon their living right. and doing these multiple uh, projects yeah. over and over, you know, throughout the year to make their living. And you know, like I, like I've said, you know, this is just my experience. And some of this, like, I heard that secondhand, you know, I don't, I only know what somebody posted in a creative group I was a part of saying Kickstarter told me this all of a sudden when they declined my project. And then a little bit later, Kickstarter published their trusted creator rules. And I was like, well, that matches what the person said. So my assumption is they changed them internally. It wasn't communicated at the moment, or if it was, it wasn't, it was changed on their website, but not publicly communicated, whatever. Right. Right. And, and Uh, that, and, and that, gave a bit of a you know once that came out that it was true that you know but the the trust had sort of started to slip at that point right 
And then you all of a sudden had this change that a lot of people were very uncomfortable with in terms of blockchain. Um, and so it, it was just this escalating series of issues with Kickstarter where creators felt ignored. Um, you know, for example, we got invited to join Drip, which was Kickstarter's equivalent to Patreon. Mm-hmm. And the week we got invited into the beta, I spent a couple hours setting up the page. We were getting all ready. And then they canceled Drip the next week, <laughs> literally within like seven days. And I was like, oh, okay. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I, I remember that. Drip, right. Man. It was just, <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's cool. Thanks. And so we launched a Patreon, right? Right. Um, but, you know, so there, there is definitely sort of this, especially as a small publisher, you know, the only employees at Gallon are myself and my wife, who are the owners, right? Everybody else we work with is a freelancer who depends on us to, you know, make sure we give them steady, consistent work. You know, my entire sole income is derived from Gallon. Um, when, when somebody I work with on a significant basis and that accounts for 50% to you know, 30 to 50% of my annual income starts changing policies and processes without talking to me. That's a big red flag. Yeah. Just in terms of stability, like, okay, I need to not be putting this many eggs in that basket. Right. Right. And so you had the, you had the 2021 combo punch of rules are changing. We're not being communicated with. There was a lot of weird sort of turnover with issue Kickstarter and issues um, and a lack of clarity. Uh, and then you had this, this blockchain thing. And then you had the early 2022 zine quest, like, are they running it? Are they not? Nobody knows. And then they're like, Oh, we're pushing it to the same week as Gen Con. Well, cool. Uh, you told us in February when it normally runs, not helpful. Right. Or January. Right. Like, so it was just this, this sort of escalating, you know, and chances are, if I'm being totally honest, they probably communicated some of this and I missed it, but I'm a one person show. Right. Like I can only do so much. And if you, and there is a level that's incumbent on them and a level that's incumbent on me, you know, and I, I am always checking Kickstarter. I'm always in there answering comments. Like, it's not like I'm not in Kickstarter every day. Right. With my projects, answering questions or posting updates, what have you. Right. So if they put a banner at the top, I'm going to see it every day. Yeah. Like, it's not like I, there's no reason for me to miss it. Well, it also seems like I mean, obviously, as a as a business person, yes, you're in there all day. You're going to see that, but there there seems to be a, a, a what it sounds like is there was maybe a consistency of what was going on, and there was a change of if I recall correctly, there was a significant change in who was running the game section, right? I think that was 2021 at some point. Luke Crane, who it was the head of games or director of games or something, was no longer there. Yeah. Right. So it was a significant change. Because if uh, I'm going to, if I feel like Luke Crane, who knows the industry, would not have moved Zine Quest to uh, August, right? So somebody doesn't necessarily understand the world of, of tabletop. Be run maybe running it so it sort of like became incongruous to you know what you had before now Ukraine has his issues and I'm not going to go into that right now but uh but that's just kind of what happened and so that that became the cert <laughs> it's crowdfunding to the search for for uh, a new platform 
right? <laughs> yeah, you know, when the NFT thing and the, sorry, not NFT, I apologize. Let me be clear. The blockchain web 3.0 stuff hit. We heard, I heard as a publisher from a lot of customers and consumers are like, we're not going to do this anymore. Right. You know, we're not going to be on Kickstarter. I had creatives who were telling me, we don't want you to run Kickstarters if we work with you, you know, and, 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 Honestly, my response is always the same. Like, well, I got to make a living. And if I got to do it on Kickstarter, I'm going to do it on Kickstarter. Right. I'll be vocal about my concerns. I'll try to fix it as much as I can, but I'm not going to starve either. Right. Because this is already a pretty low margin industry. Right. right. Now, I'm lucky and been fortunate that Gallant is in a place where we haven't had to go back to Kickstarter since, you know, I think we ran our last one in like October or November last year. Right. So we, we haven't been on Kickstarter in six to seven months. And I've been lucky with that. And that's been great. But that won't always be the case because we are a small business. And I will, at some point, I've always been really clear with people, like, we might take a break. We might try to find other solutions. But there's a chance we'll have to come back to Kickstarter one day. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But, you know, we heard from so many people who were like, I'll never back a Kickstarter, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and they were very, everybody was always super respectful about addressing their concerns. And so, you know, as a publisher, you have to weigh that. Do I listen? How much of this is, you know, if I, you know, if I hear from 10 people, are they 10% of my customer base? Are they 50%? Are they 1%? Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's sort of the question as a publisher who makes a living you're trying to weigh, especially as a small press. You know, I, I don't have Wizards of the Coast marketing mojo behind me to let me go. And eh, these 10 guys are, you know, they're, they're 0.1% of my audience, whatever, right? Or these 10 guys are 10 out of 20 of my audience. Like I got 50% right here saying, don't do this thing. I should listen to that, right? And that made it really hard. And I think a lot of small business people and small publishers really, you know, maybe from a moral or ethical point, they felt their path was clear. But from a survival and fiscal point, those two things don't always align, right? And that made it really hard for a lot of people. I think that tension and that stress was what was so impactful about this from Kickstarter. Because even if you know what you want to do, hearing from customers, I'm not going to support you because I have a moral or ethical issue with this, which is their right to express and they should, you know, and I personally always love hearing from my customers because I want to do my best to support them. This is like a really hard topic to talk about because I have to feel like I have to hedge all my bases here. You're doing a you're doing a great job of hedging the role playing game, right? But like, <laughs> you know, customers should express that, and they should feel entitled and empowered to, and I think that's good. But they should also understand creatives have to make a choice sometimes, especially creatives who are small publishers or presses, about survival, right? And a decision you make for what you feel is a moral moral and ethical reason might not align with somebody's decision to be fiscal or, you know, financially sound tomorrow. Right. And that's really hard. And that's a lot of stress, especially if you're a one person business. Yes. So that's the thing I want a lot of people to realize, like, I'm okay because my wife has a full-time job outside of me doing gallon. Like if gallon struggles for a month or two, cause we don't use Kickstarter, I'll survive. I'll be able to eat. I'll be able to, you know, pay them, pay the bills. Nobody's going to go homeless over this, right? Is it tight? Yes. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Is there a lot of anxiety and tension about it? Absolutely. But I'm not in the position of a lot of people who that was 100% their only source of income. And that tension is unbearable. At my point, it's really anxiety inducing. I can't imagine what it's like 
when you don't have the safety net I do. Right. And so I, I feel like, uh, yes, it's really important uh, that people feel comfortable using the avenue in which you need, you know, the, the exchange of these creators. You know, we live in a, in a capitalist society, so these creators must get, should get money for their creations. Right. And, and they need to eat and, and live. And, and Kickstarter was a really good, uh, you know, but it's only it, been around for like a it, decade, right? So like, but it still is great. There are still big Kickstarters happening to this day. Yes, like this, Kickstarter has, I think, and we won't know till the end of the year when the numbers come out, right? But I would be surprised if it hasn't declined a little bit in terms of like just, especially in tabletop, in terms of gross like backing numbers. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there will be a decline, but I think that there are still there's still big. I mean, and it might be best to break that into multiple different sectors. But I think RPGs is 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 a, a very vocal segment of the population <laughs> about this sort of thing. Um, and and, uh, and and you've been on the you've you've heard from many of your customers on on these subjects. So, um, and I really think that, you know, if, if somebody, please, if somebody knows more about this as to why it's bad, please let me know. Okay. But I'm going to get on my soapbox right now and say what they were trying to do was not as bad as you think it was and go find out, figure it out and tell me why. And this is not Alan. Don't. Don't message Alan. Alan, message me, and then I'll talk about it on the show or whatever. But from my perspective, reading this and talking to my to my tech friends, this it, and it, they say explicitly carbon neutral. Uh, it's basically so that you know you don't have to go to Kickstarter. They're just doing the back end now. Are they still getting money for doing way less work? Yes, that is that kind of the goal of everyone yes is it not something you want from a large company no you don't want that from a large company but from what i could tell it was just like trying to trying to turn it into kickstarter using their back end to power someone else's site and using a ledger system that which is which is what called the blockchain is called so the transactions could be trans uh, could be tracked and public and to me, that doesn't sound like a terrible thing, but uh, as far as I can tell, but that's why, but the reaction to the, like I said earlier, the blockchain and the Bitcoin and the tech bros is pretty strong in, in certain quarters. And I understand that because tech, tech bros are really annoying. Let me just say that. <laughs> But in this case, I don't think they. I think they were just trying to release a, 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 a press release, and it kind of backlashed on them. So, anyway, but let's talk about what else people could have can do, and what you've done, in particular. And I think it's very interesting what your choice has been. Okay, uh, I guess that's a good time as any to talk about hashtag gallant funding. Uh, so when I started Gallon Night Games, my goal 
from day one was always eventually get off a of Kickstarter because I personally don't like depending on other people for my success. There, there's, there's a, there's a reasonable place for resellers or distribution platforms, things like drive through and itch and stuff. But I want my customers to have a stake in what we're making. Right. And Kickstarter, you know, removed some of that barrier, but it was also a barrier in its own way. Um, and so right around December, when this kerfuffle was happening, we had uh, we had pulled the trigger on gallant funding. Um, and just to be clear, this was something we'd been working on for months in advance, like all the way back to, I want to say 2018. Wow. We'd started having these conversations and it just happened to be that when Kickstarter announced blockchain and we started hearing from people, we decided, well, we were going to do this anyway. This is as good a time as any to, from a cynical perspective, ride the momentum. Now we're the guys trying to change the system, right? And that that's powerful in a marketing sense. And I, I would be disingenuous to pretend that wasn't at least part of my decision-making process because, you know, like I'm trying to make a living doing this and it's a lot of work. So sometimes I'm happy for that shortcut. Sure, sure. Uh, and and I think it was a very, I think it Strangely enough, because you were working on it beforehand, that it was it was easy to well, it was easier. I'm sure it was a, a heck of a heck of a stretch to get it out there if it wasn't necessarily when you were you had time to do this on the schedule already, right? But Gallant funding is basically on our Gallant Night Games web store, shop.gallantnightgames.com. We have a category called Gallant funding, which is sort of a pre-order slash crowdfunding campaign that we self-manage. Uh, things only get produced if we hit a certain goal. It can be units, it can be currency, right? We need a thousand dollars or we need to sell a hundred copies, right? We can choose that. We can be flexible. We can add our own stretch goals. They added a lot of flexibility to the team in order to make those decisions and change on the fly. Cause Kickstarter, once you launch a campaign, that's it. Your goal can't change. You can't change your pledge levels. You can add new ones. You can remove old ones and like lock them down. So nobody new can back them, but you can't actually just change something somebody is backed, right? And being able to do gallon funding meant if we find like a printer who can do it cheaper, we can lower our funding goal. Or if we find a way to print based on copies rather than currency, we can change our goal. Or if we need to shorten the date because we're good, we can do that. It, was, it added a lot of choice to us. But what it also did is it removed Kickstarter's cut. Kickstarter takes a 5% cut. So when you see somebody fund a Kickstarter, you should assume just generous math, they're probably losing 10% off the top. Because depending on credit cards, it can be anywhere from eight and a half to 10%. So, cause five goes to Kickstarter, then like roughly 3.5 to 5% based on credit cards. And then currency, there's a whole thing. But you should assume they're probably losing 10% off the top. That's, that's a good like round number that probably airs with a little bit of margin for them. So when you see that hundred thousand dollar Kickstarter, well, they lost ten grand just to run the Kickstarter, right? So that's off the that's that's gone off the top. Then they're paying taxes on that because they got to pay taxes every year, right? Right. And so what Gallopony did is it turned it into just the credit card processing fee for us, as well as a small monthly fee for the software and the plugins and stuff that we need to put it all together. But that small monthly fee in a year is only like. I think it's 200 and 300 bucks way less, you know, we've already, we've already covered that this year. Right. The, but you, uh, you've, you've lowered your overhead for the software end of it. 
but you've now kind mm-hmm. of you've somewhat lost some of those tools we were talking about earlier. Exactly. Right. So that's sort of the downside is is the marketing side of this. Now you're already really well set up to market to a, to your audience yourself, but also kind of like the little w- wider audience that that have heard of your uh your yeah. your company and your system. Yeah, you know, we had a mailing list, we have a Patreon, we have a strong drive-through following, so we were able to turn around and they. I, w- I won't pretend they've been as good as some of our Kickstarters have been, but they have been successful enough that we're not hurting over it. Um, and we haven't ran a major project on it yet, like something like a Tiny Cthulhu or a big, you know, kind of front-end thing. Um, so it's it's kind of hard to say, you know, um, but it definitely works really well for things that are simple projects. Like we're going to print this one book. We're not going to do any stretch goals. We don't, it's done. We're ready to go. Right. We just need to print a hundred copies. We need to print 250 copies, whatever stuff that's like that is perfect for gallon funding. Cause we're able to wrap it around. You know, we did advanced tiny dungeon as sort of an April fool's gag. Yeah. I've got it sitting right here. <laughs> yeah. But that was a book, right. And we yep. turned that around in four weeks. It was great. It was- yeah. People backed it. You know, we ran it from April 1st to April 15th and we were shipping copies in May and we had them all shipped out by the end of May, maybe into June, depending on, cause I got COVID. So you know, depending, right. yeah. you know, it only took, you know, six to eight weeks to get it done and out the door, which is much faster than a Kickstarter. You know, we got to keep a little bit more of the money. The author got paid a little bit more because we were able to give them a better royalty on it. Um, And we're done. That was it. And now we have this product in our web store. Now we have this product on drive through and we, we skipped a lot of the rigmarole that came with a Kickstarter because one of the drawbacks with Kickstarter sort of was we'd run a campaign and then six months to a year later, you'd see it. Right. Right. So you have this, this downward trend of the buzz around the game. And if you're a big company, well, that's, that's easy to mitigate. Right. Or if you have a big IP, that's easy to mitigate. But if you're a small guy, that's really hard because you don't have an unlimited marketing budget. You don't have, or, or a marketing budget so large to be as, you know, make those problems insignificant. Well, right. Plus as, as somebody that backs a lot of Kickstarters, the sooner I get the, product after the end of the crowdfunding or whatever the more likely i'm going to be like oh shit, this is here you know like oh i've been seeing right. updates for two and a half to three years on this thing i kind of done with this already exactly you know and that's fantastic and that made it really uh sort of a slam dunk for us um so i've been really happy with gallon funding i feel like it's been pretty successful um we're still working out some of the kinks i mean we've only ran three campaigns on it basically one every two months. Um, it's not perfect. I would love to, you know, use a little bit of the community because we don't have a way, we don't have a way to add comments. And partially I don't want to because I don't want to moderate that. Right. But, um, you know, there's a lot going on there. And so we're working, we're constantly working on improving it. You know, on this last one, we added a way to do POD codes for international backers because one of the hurdles was we ship from the U.S. Right. And I, as you know, someone- so... <laughs> As someone that just shipped a bunch of dice, I'm well aware of what shipping prices are right now. So, oh yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, gallon funding's been something that's really great, and it definitely works, especially for the sort of the small scale book only in and out projects. It's it's a slam dunk for us. It's as good as a Kickstarter. 
in my estimation at that point. Right. But, okay, now we're going to go into what, so what do you think, if you were starting now, right, mm-hmm. do you, you, you haven't done any of this amazing work, right, okay. and you're starting now, like, I'm going to start crowdfunding now, right? Sure. Do you do kind of any of these other alternatives or, you know, are you try? do you still go back to Kickstarter? If, and and I understand that this is a yeah. hypothetical. Nobody get mad if the answer is Kickstarter. Anyway, I think it's hard to say, right? Like I think it sort of depends on what your goals are. Because so when I started Gallant, I could have sold my work to other companies. I could have started as a freelancer, but I started a publishing house from day one because I wanted to control my own destiny, as it were. And I felt that was the best way to do that. And I, I think that's a different conversation. I don't know if I would do that again, but uh, different conversation. Uh, you know, I, I think I would be hard pressed to do something that's not Kickstarter at this juncture today. Right. I think there are great options. Like I really, I'm intrigued by GameFound. I'm intrigued by this new crowdfunding that's coming out from BackerKit. Uh, it's still in beta, so I haven't been able to see anything about it, but it intrigues me. Um, I definitely wouldn't be going to Indiegogo. I probably would start a Patreon differently. I'd start it earlier and then roll into stuff. But I think I would definitely end up with some sort of crowdfunding. And I would probably say it's 75-25 and be a Kickstarter, barring like something I don't know or some dramatic change. Right. Because Kickstarter still is the biggest. It's still got the best reach. It's still got the most tools behind it. I, I think you're still hard pressed to sort of dislodge that juggernaut from this position at this time. Right. And, and looking at, I, I, you know, for the show, I went and like looked at some of the kind of comparisons and really the, f- the, the fees and the funding and the processing is all kind of in the same area. You're all looking at about, you know, starting at 5% for a cut to the company and then processing fees and all this other stuff that will end up being like 10% essentially on all of these. So yes, it just sort of depends on like Indiegogo seems to be kind of the most, you know, it's the second biggest, it's the most kind of public, probably the most people have interacted with it. Um, Patreon shout out to patrons. I'll, I'll be talking to more you in a, in a little bit, but, uh, you know, that seems to be a very interesting model if you're going to be like a kind of a monthly publisher as opposed to a quarterly or a bigger book publisher, like doing the patron thing seems to be really interesting. But, you know, we do take they do take a, a you know, a five percent cut off of the number that's on the front I, of the page. I will say our Patreon has been really good to us. Like that has been a fantastic tool that makes up a significant um in terms of percentage, I would probably not give it, I would not say it's significant, but in terms of monthly operating costs and direct community contact, it is invaluable. Right. It's a, it's a steady beat and uh, you're, you get, you know, people get to support in the way of, you know, patrons of old, right. Support these creators. Right. I'll be totally frank. Part of the problem with Kickstarter has been for me that it has become sort of a really negative space. When I started doing Kickstarter, people were really new creator, really positive. Let's support them, push them to the moon, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's become people don't comment, they're not excited, they're just where's my stuff? 
right? Um, and Patreon is still because you have to choose who you follow on Patreon, and you're you're giving them your support. That community is really positive, and it creates a really welcoming, uh, still critical, still essential, but really welcoming space for a creative to kind of house themselves. And I think that is a that is a support network you can't put money on. So shout out to the GKG Patreons. Oh, check out our GKG Patreon at patreon.com slash games. <laughs> and, and so, uh, and then GameFound is kind of like the tabletop gaming only, right? I, I don't think they do video games. I haven't seen video games on there, but... No, they're just board games and RPGs mostly. So... And I, I, I think I've done a couple of those, but it, it never really sticks. It's just like I fan of somebody and that's where they're doing it, right? It's, it's, I'm not really, I'm sure there's a community there, but, and maybe I'm missing something, but, uh, I, you know, I've worked with them a few times. Uh, they did. So one of the things with Kickstarter, a lot of people don't realize is when you use a fulfillment tool, like backer kit or something that costs more money. Right. And it's usually structured based on how much your campaign made or how many backers you have. Right. Um, and it can get pricey anywhere from three, two to five percent more of what your campaign made. So now you're looking at twelve to fifteen percent gone, right? I, I'm I'm always interested as to why Kickster never did a backer a backer back end. They've the last year they've made some significant improvements to their back end in that regard. I think I think they're trying to move that way because it was I, just to collect an address and then okay you can ship from this address but it never it was never enough because you couldn't do add-ons after the fact or anything else. They've been working to improve that. You can do add-ons now. You can the way the shipping and the survey stuff has been kind of revamped it's a lot better. But this is part of the problem with Kickstarter. Creators felt like Kickstarter wasn't listening when they were saying we need X to do Y. Kickstarter was saying well here's Z. They're yeah. like, hey, but I don't care about that, right? right? Like, I want add-ons. I want stretch goldings. I want all these things. And they were rolling out other stuff at the time. You know, or not rolling anything out for what would feel like a year sometimes. So, yeah. I mean, and I feel like that's what's led to where we're at. And, um, you know, I think we've kind of covered the pros and cons, but I think the real pro of going to some of these other sites, other than if you're a company that's large, you know, that has been working on it or was thinking about doing it where you're large enough to roll your own, right. is these name sites that are outside like Kickstarter or Indiegogo. They, they give people a bit of a margin of comfort that they, they know this brand right. for new creators, right? Yeah. You know, and it's it's complicated, right? Because you're always trying to balance, especially as a small company, you're trying to balance this accessibility versus I don't I don't know professionalism, right? Right. And Kickstarter both hampered and aided in that, and with a lot of these uh, small businesses, we're making these mistakes in public when we make a mistake, right? And Kickstarter had the benefit of being a known quantity. It was harder to make a mistake because their ecosystem was well locked down. The UI was good, whatever. So when you move to these new platforms, you have this hurdle there of making mistakes in public again, right? And that's scary and that's hard. 
you know, and I think as companies look at, you know, I know we've looked at GameFound. We haven't pulled the trigger on a GameFound yet, but there, I will one day, I'm sure, just to try it because I want to know, right? Um, if we get ever get a chance to do the crowdfunding from back, I'm sure I'll do a project there one day. Right. Right. You know, I always wanted to do one on Game on Tabletop. That never happened. Um, it just never worked out. But, you know, there's these, there's this, fear which i think is justified of making mistakes in public because you worry it's going to cost you money is worry it's going to cost you backers there's a lot of anxiety you know and i'm sure there are creatives who don't have this but from my perspective this is what i have right i have this anxiety about publicly making this mistake and having to fix it publicly and i've done that enough that i don't want to do it anymore Right. And I, and I know a lot of people that run their smaller Kickstarters that have made mistakes of some variety or shape or form where a lot of them just walk away, you know, and, and that's really just makes me sad because I, you know, some of these people, I know some of these people and I'm like, oh man, like I was really looking forward to your thing. Like, and now because you've gone so long that the, you know, and talk about a negative environment, like it's literally you go into some of these Kickstarters, the comments are all about like, well, I've talked to this uh, attorney general and this attorney general and, and all these other, you know, because they're not doing updates or they're, there's just no way that they're ever going to be able to fulfill at this point or whatever. And sometimes, and I, that's, that's a hard one, right? Because like at a certain point, I'm like, dude, it's a $25 pledge. Right. Right. Or, you know, I had a guy once who was giving me a lot of grief on a Kickstarter to the point where I asked Kickstarter to remove him, even though he got his reward. So I was like, look, he's got his reward. He had a $10 PDF reward. He's just being a jerk now. Yeah. He is just being a fuckwad for the sake of being a fuckwad. Right. Like, boot him. Right? He has no reason to be posting these things. You know? And that's really hard as a creative and that's really hard, especially if you're not a company who has a crowdfunding manager to run interference or a customer support person where you're doing all that yourself, which a lot of people are. You know, it, it takes a mental and emotional toll. Right. And, and and I feel, you know, I definitely understand, like, you know, it's your, some of the, these patch projects are very projects of, of passion, right? And not necessarily like they're going to be making a lot of money, even if they you know, the original projections were true, right? Where, you know, as time goes on, prices go up and it's harder and harder to fulfill. And, um, but there are also these, like, you know, when you back something at like a max, you know, a a max level, right. Or, you know, a very high level where you've got hundreds of dollars in this thing. Right. And then you never hear from these people again. Absolutely. And that's unacceptable. Right. I, 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 I'm not defending creators who do that, right? There, There is a point where you have a stake and there is a point where it's better to just let it go. And each person has a different balance there. And I'm not here to pass judgment on that. But, you know, my, my thing is always remember there's another person on the end of the line. These things aren't happening in a vacuum. You know, and you want to be the person who sends that message that pushes them into a bad position. Or what have you, you know? Right, right, and 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 that's that's kind of like the. I, I feel like we should have all learned this lesson from Facebook and many other social media platforms where they're text only. Like, 
text is not a great communicator of emotion or feeling or, you know, voice is better, right? Video is better than that, right? Being able to see someone's face. If you, Absolutely. if every time you were on the internet and you were trying to type a bad thing about someone and you were looking at their face and looking at the reaction, I feel like there would be so, uh, some portion, not everybody, because they're freaking people that would just do it anyways right but like the, these are people behind these things right these are other passionate fans of the subject that decided to do these things and they ended up screwing up or something screwed up and they can't do the thing and they're they're probably sadder than you are that you didn't get your thing yeah right you know and like in this a balancing act right there are projects where creators need to do better and I'm not trying to absolve them or say they don't. Right. You know, and there are projects where maybe you just need to give the creator a break so they can get it together and they'll finish it. Right. Like it's a two way road and everybody, I think the problem is there's no consistent two way road. Everybody's different depending what that looks like. Right. You know, and so one of the perks of gallon funding is we post our updates in a blog post and then in our discord. And we send out emails, right? So people want to respond, they can talk in the Discord, they can respond to the emails, but we don't have to deal with moderating comments. And that has made it a lot you know, easier for us in a lot of ways because it's removed sort of that community overhead um, while still allowing us to maintain the community vibe that we want. Right. And it's really hard to figure out. And I don't think any one way works for every company. There's not a one size fits all solution here, but you know, I don't know. Crowdfunding is complicated. The world is complicated. Everything's complicated. Yes. I am not an expert. If I, if you disagree with me, I'm sorry. I don't have a Twitter anymore. So you can't at me about it though. Wow. That, that, okay. That's another discussion we need to have anyway, but not on, online. Not my problem now. Right. I know. I got you. Um, shout out to 10 men prime for asking about, uh, backer kit. And yes, we would like to talk about backer kit, but it's invite only at this point. And for some reason, if you're in backer kit and you haven't sent Alan an invite yet, I mean, he's used your stuff. He's, he's paid you money, like send him an invite just so he can look at, maybe he'll abandon his own thing to come for you. Like, come on backer kit. Anyways. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah no you know it's a complicated this is a complicated discussion and there's not a perfect answer and you know people listening i'm sorry if you disagree with me i truly am and if you want to discuss this hop into the discord uh in the full metal rpg discord i'll totally chat about it because i am open to always learning and trying to do better um i've done this a lot i think i have a pretty good grasp of what i'm talking about but i also will always acknowledge that there are things i can learn and be better at I will also acknowledge that what worked for me will not work for everybody else because I'm not you, right? So uh, creators do better. Backers, you know, support creators. Be vocal. If you a creator does what you like, let them know. Praise them in the comments on Kickstarter. Cheer them on. Back their thing on their web store if they don't go to Kickstarter. You know, one of the hardest things as a creator is you feel like you're, you're you, anytime you switch, you lose 10 to 20% or more of your following when you move a platform and I'm 20, 10 to 20% is low, you're gonna lose a lot more than that. And if you love what somebody's doing, just give them money. Like 
even if you have a copy of the game and you can afford to buy a second copy to give to a friend for a present, do that, right? Buy a table copy. You know, that stuff is what keeps the lights on. Like, I am always checking every month on our revenue to make sure I can pay myself. Like, it is a the first thing I do every morning when I wake up, and it's probably not healthy. But the first thing I do every morning when I wake up is I check the revenue projections for the month to date to make sure I'm like, okay, I can pay the bills. I can pay myself. Cool. And now I can put some money into paying for the next project or I can give this creator a bonus or I can, you know, commission some bonus work to help somebody out who needs it and is having a hard time, whatever. Right. That stuff goes a long way. I don't, and you know, I don't think you all realize, and maybe you do, but I cannot express how much kind words and support and support both vocal, but fiscal as well matter to a creator, especially one who exists on the lower end of the sort of like the tiers of companies, right? The guys who are the guys and gals who are trying to do it, you know, by themselves or with a small team or on a shoestring budget, like, that stuff goes a long way. Well, well, and that's and yeah, you may think that oh, the tabletop industry is gigantic, and there are definitely giants, but oh, yeah. most of most of RPGs are produced by one to five people. I I will say, Gallant Night Games does pretty well by most standards. Like, it's my full-time job. That's not a thing a lot of companies can do. Right. But we can't afford an employee to help me. Like, we're still just me and my wife, who works when she can on the side. Like, and we're arguably, you know, pretty successful by a lot of people's standards in the game industry. Right? And, man, it's a daily anxiety hit. Like, the margins are so low and the effort is so high. I work 80 hours a week to feel like I do 40 you know, and so when these when things like when Kickstarter starts changing their policies, these conversations we're having around crowdfunding, these are things I spend hours a week thinking about and trying to find solutions to and researching. On top of my creative work, on top of my trying to find time to relax, on top of my trying to find time to do other projects, like there's a lot that goes into this. Right. Well, Alan, I think it's been a hell of a journey. I really appreciate your honesty as much yeah. as you can in in an open forum, and uh, and and I think you've you've really bared your soul here, and I really appreciate you coming on and talk to me about this. Uh, yeah. I I appreciate your patronage. I appreciate your uh, your different uh, different just being around. So I thank you very much for being with me, Alan. My pleasure, and I will be here until you kick me out. All right. Well, now that we're through that uh, crowdfunding morass, I, I kind of want to do some business. So I figure I'd uh, let Alan go and we can just uh, talk about this for a minute. So shout out to our two new patrons. We have two new patrons this month. We have Ian. Shout out, Ian. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And we have Nick. Now, Nick just became a patron. Nick sent me an email after the last episode. And then we had an hour long chat and it was fantastic. Uh, this guy, worldly guy living down in Chile. Uh, yeah, he, he was a, he was a blast to talk to really appreciate you, Nick. And thank you for becoming a patron. 
Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, T-shirts on sale uh, at uh, you can just check Full Metal RPG for get some merch in your life. And uh, I'm I'm wearing the old school, but that's not on sale. But uh, um, and I think. Oh, yes. And I, I shipped the dice to the patrons that signed up to have those dice sent to them. If you miss that, let me know. I've turned it off for now. But, uh, you know, if you, if enough people shout at me, then let me know. I, it, let me say shipping is not cheap. Anyways, uh, I really appreciate you. Uh, I'm working on a show for in a couple weeks for RPGs in prison. So I'm going to be asking for questions on that. So uh, if you have some questions, email me in the next week or so uh, before the 3rd of July, let's say. Before the 3rd of July, email me if you have a question or I'm going to be asking all the patrons uh, what they if they have any questions. So I really appreciate you. Uh, thank you very much. Good night. Rah! <laughs>